Good morning. Welcome to Faithbrook. My name is Josh Friesen, and I'm one of the volunteer hosts at Faithbrook. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we're so thankful and excited you joined us for worship today. At Faithbrook, everyone deserves to be known and valued. So if you're newer here, in the seat in front of you, there's a blue connection card. Please consider filling it out, dropping it in the giving boxes on the way out today, or if you want to do a digital version, go to our website at faithbrook.church connect. At Faithbrook, our mission is to lead people into a new and thriving life in Christ. And one way that you can help with that mission is through something as easy as an invitation. Easter is coming up soon and we are super excited. It's one of the best Sundays of the year for adults and kiddos. This morning when you arrived on your seat, there was an invitation card. We're asking everybody to invite folks from within the community to join us for our Easter Sunday service. And this year, we're gonna switch things up a little bit. Normally, services are at 10 a.m., but on Easter Sunday, we're gonna have two identical services with childcare at 9 and 10.30 a.m. That's right, two identical services at 9 and 10.30 a.m., both with childcare. So that will give people plenty of room to spread out as we invite folks from around the community. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning and welcome to those who are watching us online. I'm glad that you could join us as well. You know, it was April 10th, 1912. The most modern ship in history set sail on its maiden voyage. It had on board 2,228 people and 20 lifeboats. You know, four days into that maiden voyage on April 14th, it ran into an iceberg that was 60 feet high. And within an hour, the first lifeboat was launched. 17 followed. Two of them never made it to the water. It only took two and a half hours from the time it hit that iceberg until the Titanic was gone. 705 people were rescued. 1,523 were lost. You know, we're looking today at God's rescue plan for the human race. You know, and unlike the Titanic, there's room for everyone in the lifeboat. We just have to choose to get in it. We need to choose to follow after God's rescue plan. You know, and today we're, we're looking at that life plan. You know, and God's rescue plan for us goes all the way back to the beginning. You know, from the time he had to ask the first question of man, Adam, where are you? You know, if you remember back to the garden, God came and walked with Adam and Eve, and he had communion with them and fellowship with them. Everything was perfect, and then one evening he comes to the garden, and he doesn't see them. Where are you? And in that moment, he knew they had done the one thing that he asked them not to do. And it required a sacrifice and he immediately sacrificed an animal to get the hides to make clothes to cover their nakedness. You know, and God asks us the same question today. Where are you? He's searching for us. He wants to find us. You know, have you chosen to get in the lifeboat? 
You know, he searches us out. He calls to us, encouraging us to get in the boat. He's here to rescue us. You know, I've watched as artists and writers and creators take their first draft of something and they look at it and think, oh, this isn't quite it, and they crumple it up and throw it away, or they maybe turn the canvas over and start again, or they take that ceramic that they've made and they crush it back into another ball of, to work the pottery again. You know, and God could have done that. He could have just thrown everything out and started over, but he chose to go with the rescue plan. You know, throughout the history of God's people, he's rescued them. He's rescued them as a people, as a nation, and he's rescued them as individuals. Think about Daniel, rescued from the lion's den. Or Jonah, rescued from the belly of a fish. Or Job, rescued from his grief, his pain, and his hurt. You know, perhaps the most striking story of being rescued is that of the Exodus going from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. You know, the, the Israelites got to Egypt by design. Remember the story, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt, and through a series of circumstances, he becomes number two, second only to Pharaoh, in the land of Egypt. And due to famine and drought, his family from Canaan ends up in Egypt with him. They came to Egypt as a family of 70 people, and over 400 years, they grew to a nation of millions. And the Pharaoh that came along was not very happy with this. He thought, four million people, if they rebel, they can take over all of Egypt. So he puts them into slavery. And then he finds this 80-year-old man out in the wilderness of Midian, a guy by the name of Moses, and he says, I want to rescue my people, and I need you to go to be my arms, to be my feet, to be my mouthpiece, and rescue the people. And you know the series of events that happened with the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, and Moses was obedient, and he helped God to rescue his people. And the scriptures tell us that he brought them from slavery to freedom, from Egypt to the promised land. And he did it with an outstretched arm, symbolic of Christ with his outstretched arms on the cross. You know, and years later, Babylon comes along and conquers Judea and takes the best and the brightest and the strongest off into exile in Babylon. And there was a prophet about that time by the name of Isaiah. And he prophesied about this. He told him, it's going to happen. For 70 years, you're going to be in exile. But then God's going to send along a man that doesn't know him, but he's going to be God's anointed to rescue his people. A man named Cyrus is going to come along and rescue you. You know, and Isaiah made that prophecy 150 years before Cyrus was even born. But he called him by name. And Cyrus, king of Persia, marched into Babylon, conquered it, and allowed the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But God gave that prophet Isaiah another picture for the people. 
What he gave them was a picture of the final rescue plan. What it's going to be like. And he talked about this Messiah, the man who was going to come to rescue his people. And Isaiah saw him this way, that he'll be raised and lifted up. A picture of Christ on the cross, raised up. He said his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was so badly beaten, he wasn't recognizable. So badly beaten, he was too weak to carry his own cross beam. They had to find somebody else to carry it for him. And Isaiah goes into a really lengthy description of that rescue plan. You know, Isaiah 53 is one of the prominent uh, chapters in Scripture that gives us a great picture of the Messiah. When I was in, in college, in my Old Testament class, I had to memorize Isaiah 53, including the punctuation. And our final exam was to write out Isaiah 53 with all the punctuation correctly. So it became a very special chapter for me as I focused for a whole semester on memorizing it. It's known as the Suffering Servant Passage. And I want us to look at that this morning. It's Isaiah 53. And let's start with verse 2. It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You know, as we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus being despised. The Pharisees hated him. They were looking for any opportunity they could to get him. Even in his own town and among his own family, he wasn't respected. He was rejected in Nazareth. In fact, they took him out to push him over a cliff, and he slipped away from them. He moved on to Capernaum, a city where he did miracle after miracle, and yet the people didn't follow him. And in verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is God's rescue plan. His own son would become the sacrifice that would bring us peace, that would bring us freedom, that would draw us to him. In verse six, familiar verse maybe to all of you, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, everyone is, has, has to find their way back to God. We have to find our way to him. You know, we're born with this tendency to sin, and we need to be rescued. And God chose this funny way, this weird route to our rescue. He chose to give up his only son that we might have eternal life. You know, we just saw five little children up here being dedicated to God. You know, how many of you that are parents 
would give up your son or your daughter to rescue someone else. I imagine it would be the other way around. You as parents would give up yourself to rescue your son or your daughter. You know, and God turned those tables around and he, he gave up his own son to rescue us. You know, in verse seven, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as sheep before their shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You know, when we read the story and see him standing before Pilate, refusing to speak, refusing to answer questions, refusing to defend himself. He was willing to go to the cross. He knew about the rescue plan. In verse eight, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This was a man who had never sinned. He, was a perfect, he lived a perfect life. He followed the will of the Father from the very beginning, and he was willing to accept his part in the rescue plan. Two thieves, the wicked, died one on each side of him. A rich man named Joseph of Arimathea paid for his body and buried him in his own tomb. A grave with the wicked, the thieves, and the rich, Joseph. And in verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And the, though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. All of this was given to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Christ was even born. They would know that there was a Messiah. There was someone coming that was gonna culminate that plan of rescue for the human race. They would know, and when the time was right, it was gonna be enacted. In fact, Paul tells us in Galatians 4.4 that when the time was fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to rescue those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And when we accept that rescue plan, we become the sons and the daughters of God, his offspring, his descendants, and he will see us as we come into fellowship with him and accept that rescue plan. And then finally, in verse 11 and 12, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. Transgressors, that's us. And this prophecy that describes in vivid detail what Christ went through was given to the Israelites 700 years in advance. 
See, God's rescue plan has been in place. It's already in place at this point in time. It's gonna be the Messiah. It's gonna be Jesus. You know, as we come in the season of Lent, you know, in two weeks we're gonna celebrate Easter, the greatest celebration of the church. But we wanna take pause in these next two weeks to focus on the plan of God to rescue his people, to bring us from light to darkness, to rescue us from death to life, to rescue us to eternal life with him. You know, as Jesus headed to Jerusalem that last week, he knew he was going to Jerusalem for the last time. He knew what the end of the week was gonna bring for him, but he didn't hesitate at all. In fact, in Luke's gospel, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. No hesitation. With determination, he went to Jerusalem. Why? To bring about the culmination of the rescue plan. The rescue plan for you and for me. You know, on the cross, that's a, a symbol of Roman torture has become for us a symbol of freedom and a symbol of peace. You know, Christ went to that cross because he loved us, not willing that any should perish, but that all would have eternal life. And we've been rescued individually from slavery to sin and our selfish desires to freedom in Christ. But the question this morning is, what have we been rescued to? What does that freedom look like? What does it mean for each of us? When we answer the call and we get in that lifeboat, we're changed. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has been rescued, if anyone has gotten into the lifeboat, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You know, something changes, something happens within us. And so how are we to live out our lives as new creations in Christ? Well, Paul talks about this uh, new nature in Romans chapter 12, verse two. And he says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, not conformed. Transformation takes place in us. We should be thinking differently. We should be acting differently. We put away the old things and we take on new ways. And then Peter tells us more about that rescue plan. In 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, he says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So we're rescued into a living hope. You know, what is hope? It's both a noun and a verb. It's something we have, and it's something we do. You know, we hope, we expect in confidence. And Paul tells us in Colossians that the secret is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's something that happens within us as we're rescued by Christ, and it's gonna be reflected in our lives. 
We're called to be beacons of light in a messy world that needs to be rescued. But along with that living hope, we're rescued to an inheritance kept in heaven. That's about eternal life. The world is only a stopping place. You know, and we're here, it's a place where we learn and practice the values of the kingdom of God. You know, Paul tells us that we're rescued to be a chosen people. I'm sorry, Peter tells us we're rescued to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now listen and compare what God said to the Israelites right after he led them out of Egypt. He says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, we have the same calling as the nation of Israel, as God's holy people. And so how do we reflect that in our lives? Our lives should reflect what we've been rescued to. Now, has anyone seen the movie Jesus Revolution? If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to go see it. You know, it's about my people. I grew up in the 1970s, you know, and it's about a, a revolution that happened on the West Coast in 1970. You know, and, and when I went and saw the movie, one of the first scenes, there's a guy that's signing his name to a picture. His name is Greg Laurie, and I had just finished reading a book by Greg Laurie. I thought, wow, here he is, this is his story. But it's about how Jesus came and stirred the hearts of young people all up and down the West Coast. And they were going in mass to the ocean to be baptized. You know, you probably have heard them in history talked about Jesus freaks, Jesus people. That's who they became known as. And at the same time, there was a little college in Kentucky named Asbury College that was having this revival. You know, the kids went to chapel one Wednesday morning and they didn't leave for 185 hours. They stayed there praying and worshiping and being reconciled and seeking forgiveness it spread to other college campuses. Does that sound familiar? Last month, the same thing happened at Asbury College. And for 17 days, those kids stayed in that chapel. They prayed, they worshiped, they sought forgiveness, they sought reconciliation. And people from all over the country and other parts of the world came. For 17 days, that chapel was alive with the Spirit of God. And they estimate that between 50,000 and 70,000 people presented themselves in that chapel during those 17 days. You know, could it be that God is calling a new generation of young people to get in the lifeboats, to be saved, to take up their cross and follow him? You know, and we can look back in history on what happened in 1970. Those people were different after that. A real change happened in their life. And what distinguished those people in the 1970s after this event, they were distinct. They were different. There was something about them that was countercultural. They lived differently than the world. And our way of living is going to be at odds with the prevailing culture if we're really rescued, living in the lifeboat. You know, God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he took 40 years getting the Egypt 
out of the Israelites. You see, you, you, we live and we practice and we develop habits. And when we're rescued and when we're changed, that needs to change. New habits replace old habits. See, God put his rescue plan in place not just to redeem us, but to transform us, to make us different, to change our mindsets, to change our practices, to give us a biblical worldview. You know, what does God say versus what the world says? Whose voice are you listening to? You know, we live in a crazy, messed up, hurting world. And today it's described as a post-Christian world. You know, people are broken and they're hurting all around us. Will we be the people of God who reach into the world and rescue others? You know, that night in the lifeboat on the Titanic, those people in the lifeboats could hear the cries, the screams of the people who were going down with the ship. They could hear the cries of the people in the icy waters with no hope. The crew on those lifeboats wanted to go back and rescue others. And the people in the lifeboat wouldn't let them. It's a sad commentary, isn't it? You're in the lifeboat, you've been rescued, but you won't go back to rescue someone else. Why? Well, what if they capsize the boat while they're crawling in over the side and we'll all be lost? What if we take on too many and the boat can't handle it and we're gonna sink? You know, Jesus' rescue plan is that none would perish, that all will be saved. And we need to take our lifeboats and paddle back to those who aren't in them yet. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning. I kind of enjoy floating around in my lifeboat. You know, I love the Bible. I love to study scripture. I read the word. I love it. You know, I pray. I've got a, a journal that I keep, a prayer journal that I could pray for 30 or 40 minutes and not go through that whole list yet. I love being here worshiping with fellow believers, gathering together as the family of God and worshiping. And as I lay back in my lifeboat, once in a while I bump into somebody that needs rescuing. But I'm pretty complacent. I'm not really excited about intentionally, aggressively paddling, looking for people who need to be rescued. But I think that's what God calls us to do. To begin to look around us, to go searching for people who need to be rescued, those who aren't yet in the lifeboat. We need to reach out, we need to invite, we need to love on them. You know, last weekend we hosted a seminar here at our church. Um, it was on multiplication and evangelism. Uh, Mark Bain really zeroed in, he's the presenter, and he zeroed in real heavily on the last commandment that God left us with. It's found in Matthew 28, 19. It says, go and make disciples. And we're really good about sitting back and saying, well, that's the pastor's job. Let's go watch him make disciples. But actually, it's the pastor's job to teach you to make disciples. You see, the mission field is in your backyard. The people who need rescuing are where you work. They're where you go to school. It's where you go golf. It's where you go to the gym. That's where the people are who need to be rescued. We're supposed to be light in the darkness, salt on the earth. 
We're supposed to help God build his kingdom on earth. You know, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really mean that? Are we about helping God's kingdom to come to earth? You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 18 through 20, says this, all this from God, referring to the verses just prior to that, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, he rescued us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people to him. That God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Do you hear that one? He has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We are Christ's ambassadors. Now, what's an ambassador? It's someone who goes on behalf of another person and speaks words to those that need to receive it as if the person that sent them was speaking the words. God's calling them, and he needs us to be his hands and his feet. He needs us to go and to willingly be his ambassadors. And we need to go and to befriend those who are in need of knowing Christ, those who are broken, they're hurting, they're messy, they might not look like us, they might not speak like us, they might not think like we do, they might not even smell very well. But God's saying, go give them a hug, go embrace them, go out into the world and rescue those who need rescuing. You know, how many of you have prayed for somebody that you love that lives in a different city, maybe a different state, and you know they need Jesus, and you pray this prayer that says, God, would you bring somebody into their lives where they are, that knows you, that can befriend them, that can lead them to you? I've prayed that prayer. But now think about that. Your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, there may be somebody somewhere else praying, Lord, would you bring someone into that boy's life, someone into that woman's life that can befriend them? You know, somebody is praying, God, would you bring you into someone's life that can lead them to find Christ? You know, God's working in the lives of everybody. He's wooing people around the world. He's calling them to himself. And will we be alert enough? Will we be paddling our lifeboats aggressively, looking for where God's at work and willing to go join him there? You know, what we once were is dead in our transgression and sin. What God did, he rescued us. Why did God do it? Because he loves us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants us to lift Jesus up in a fallen world. He wants to give us life and a purpose, a living hope, an inheritance in heaven. And he's made us alive. He's brought us from death to life. You know, only the cross can rescue from the darkness, the grief, the anxiety, maybe from ourselves, and God's calling people all around us. He needs us, the rescued ones, to be his hands, his feet, to be his ambassador. You know, the rescue plan that led Jesus to the cross is all about grace. 
You know, and people in the world try to make it seem more complicated. They think it can't be that simple. There's gotta be a catch. But there's no secret access code to the rescue plan of God. So this morning, have you been rescued? And if you have, are you different than what you were? Does your life reflect that you've been rescued? Have you gotten off the path that the culture put you on and stepped into the path where you're walking worthy of your calling? If you haven't been rescued this morning, today would be a good day for rescue. And if you want to talk about that, I'll be available after the service. Pastor Jim, Pastor Ron, Pastor Taylor, grab one of us and talk to us. If you're online listening this morning, there's a little button you can push that says, I'd like to pray, and our host will jump on and pray with you. Or you can contact the church office and just let them know you want to talk with the pastor about God's rescue plan. You know, knowing Jesus is more than knowing about Jesus. It's about a relationship. It's trading in your religion for a relationship. It's having a living hope and an expectation about the future with Jesus. You know, before he left this earth, he was eating with his disciples one night, and he said, I'm going to prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place, I'm coming back, so that where I am, you may be also. You know, I'm looking forward to that great family reunion. You know, we're all sons and daughters of Jesus as we jump in the lifeboats, as we accept the rescue plan. And there is going to be a family reunion that is beyond anything you could imagine. There will be people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation gathered around the throne at the supper table with Jesus. What an awesome thing to look forward to. You know, all those that were willing to be rescued, all those that were willing to get into that lifeboat will be there. Will you be there? You know, there's a song by a group called Sela that they sang about 10 years ago. It was pretty popular, and the lyrics kind of speak to where we are with this message this morning. It says, wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men. You rescue the souls of men. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to embrace. You are the hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost our way. We've hopelessly lost the way. You are the one that we praise. You are the one that we adore. You give us the healing embrace our hearts always hunger for our hearts always hunger for. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, here in our weakness you find us, falling before the throne. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give that healing embrace our hearts always hunger for. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? You rescue the souls of men. Let's stand this morning and let me close with prayer before we're dismissed. Father, we stand here before you this morning. So grateful 
that you put in place a rescue plan. So grateful that we could come to a place where we recognize you calling us, you wooing us, and somebody stepped into our lives and shared the rescue plan with us. Thank you that the lifeboats are there and there's room for everyone. And I pray, Father, that as we live out our lives being rescued, being followers of yours, that our lives will reflect what it means to be rescued, what it means to have gone from death to life, from slavery to freedom. And would you give us the situational awareness to look around us and see people whose lives are needing rescued. Someone that you might be calling and we can be your ambassador and step into their life to lift you up, to share the rescue plan. Go with us through this week. Help us to focus our lives on you. That we would look at the, the habits of our lives. Are there things we need to change to be more like you? Thank you, Jesus, for all you do. Go with us now as we go into the busyness of the week. Walk with us this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.